don't touch that dial. It's the American Grooves Radio Hour with your host, Joe Laura. Hi, folks. This week on American Grooves, we'll be grooving to the great gal vocalists of the 1920s and 30s. It isn't the paddle, it's not the canoe. It isn't the river or sky that all blue. It isn't the love dreams that bring joy to you. It's the girl. It's the girl. It isn't the brooklet that you always wonder to. It isn't the mountain flower or the morning dew. It isn't the love nest that brings love to you. It's a girl that makes you happy and it's a girl that makes you blue. You often doubt them. What a lonely world would be without them. It isn't the song words, the song that they sing. It isn't the sunshine that makes you like spring. So what is this magic that makes love a thing? It's a girl. It's a girl. Some folks need atmosphere when they're making love. They say, oh, Mother Nature makes love grand. Still lovers will complain that they need the shore. If you're a Romeo, understand it isn't the paddle it's not the canoe it isn't the river or skies that are blue it isn't the love dreams that bring joy to you wherever you go whatever you do it's the girl it isn't the bro that you wanted to do, it isn't the mouth and the flowers of the morning dew. It isn't the loveness that brings love to you. It's a girl, it's a girl. Nineteen thirty-one, the Boswell sisters, those Swanee serenaders from New Orleans, three girls and a piano. But in this case, accompanied by the Dorsey Brothers band with Eddie Lang on guitar, Joe Venuti on fiddle, Tommy Dorsey on trombone, and lots of other great New York players. Anyway, coming up next is Irene Taylor, a gal from Texas who came up to uh, New York around 1927 and 28 and had a long association with the Paul Whiteman Orchestra. Here she is with them in 1932, Willow Weep for Me.
in the darkness to me Are the shadows forever to me Where's the light I'm longing to see Taylor in 1932. Taylor became quite a big radio star in the early 30s. Uh, she left the Whiteman Band probably shortly after that recording was made in 32. And then she moved back down to Texas and she married a piano player, uh, vocalist, and band leader, Seeger Ellis. And they worked down in Texas for many years, recorded down there in the late 1930s. Gertrude Ma Rainey is up next. And we all know about Ma Rainey from the recent uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom TV show that was on. Not really telling her life story, but giving you a little taste of what her world was like back in the 30s, recording for Paramount Records. Paramount Records. Everyone said that they pressed their records on a substance that was a combination of shellac and sand because the surfaces were just horrible. Uh, Paramount was a record label that catered to the African-American audience. They called it the race audience back then. They made race records. And Ma was one of the stars of Paramount, along with Blind Lemon Jefferson and Blind Blake. And here she is with her Tub Jug Washboard Band in 1928, Prove It On Me. Went out last night, had a great big fight, everything seemed to go To my surprise, the girl I with was gone. Where she went, I don't know. I mean to follow everywhere she goes. Folks said I'm crooked. I didn't know where she took it. I want the whole world to know. Proud of my friends, been watching women, cause I don't like no men. It's true, I wear a color and a tie, make the wind blow all the while. Cause the way I do it, ain't nobody called me. Thank <laughs> you. 
Jug Washboard Band, and an entirely different part of the country, New York City, 1933, a young man named John Hammond was beginning his career. He had first been a record collector and remained an enthusiast, one of the great enthusiasts of jazz and blues throughout his entire, his entire long life. And uh, at the time, he was working with the Benny Goodman Band and doing some stuff for Columbia Records, and he discovered a very young lady up in Harlem by the name of Billie Holiday, and she was singing in nightclubs up there, and he arranged a session with the Benny Goodman Band in 1933. I think she was 17 years old. In fact, she was so unknown at the time that they even misspelled her name on the record. They spelt it as Halliday. But believe me, in two years, everybody in the jazz world knew about Billie Holiday. And here she is on her first session in 1933, your mother's son-in-law. Holiday at her first recording session in 1933, age 17 years old. Miss Lee Morse was a gal singer from Oregon, born in 1897 in that state, and made her way to New York. And she was one of the first uh, recording artists to incorporate yodeling in her singing. She also wrote her own songs, played guitar, and became quite a success in the mid-1920s recording on the perfect label, 
perfect. I don't know why they called it that. They made the records on cylinders and then dubbed them to these orange 78s that just sounded god-awful. But anyway, perfect to somebody, I guess. Um, she moved over to Columbia, where it did get kind of perfect. The recordings were so much better. And she was just a darling of the vaudeville circuit, played at the Palace Theater everywhere. And she had a great band called the Bluegrass Boys. And she incorporated her yodeling in her singing of pop tunes. And here she is uh, in 1931 singing the tune, Cooking Breakfast for the One I Love. Morning, I'll be getting up. Morning, I'll be setting up a tiny table for two. Breakfast, I'll be making his breakfast. He'll be taking his shave and his shower. My happy hour. The coffee is steaming. Oh boy, what I'm dreaming. While I'm cooking breakfast for the one I love. My baby likes bacon, and that's what I'm making while I'm cooking breakfast for the one I love. Our life has been so nice and chummy right from the start. When I won his tummy, I won his heart. My baby is happy. Oh boy, am I happy While I'm cooking breakfast For the one I love the dishes and he's breaking the dishes while I'm cooking breakfast for the one I love. I serve a plate of steaming oatmeal, taste it but shuck. Who the heck wants oatmeal sprinkled with flux to show that he's grateful he eats a big plateful and he faints right after breakfast for the one he loves. Miss Lee Morse in 1930, one of the great stylists of the 20s and early 30s. Unfortunately, her career was cut short, uh, primarily because of a problem she had with alcohol, which forced her to be removed from several important shows in the early 30s. Her last recordings were made uh, in the late 1930s on Decca Records, and she pretty much vanished from the scene shortly thereafter. Billy Maxwell, born in Arizona, 1906, is considered the first woman to make country music records, and certainly the first woman to sing genuine cowboy songs. These songs were collected by people such as Alan Lomax and John Lomax, who wandered through the country with their cylinder recorders, and they recorded cowboy songs and blues songs and work songs. And Billy Venero, which is the song Billy Maxwell is singing here, uh, was recorded on a Victor record in 1929. Two parts, one part on each side of the 78, this is Billy Venero 
part one, accompanied by herself on guitar. Uh, she was also the guitar player with the White Mountain Band, which was led by her father, Billy Venero, by Billy Maxwell. Billy Venero heard them say in an Arizona town one day that a band of a pack Indians were upon the trail of me. Her damn tell a murder done. Three men killed at Rocky Run. They're in danger at the car and said for Nero underground. Our ranch 40 miles away was a little place that lay in a green and shady valley of that mighty how fast four of homes were there, and in one a maiden fair held the heart of Billy Venero, Billy Venero's little So from Texas, we're going to head just a little bit up north to Memphis, where in 1935, Minnie Wallace recorded with the Memphis Jug Band, members from the Memphis Jug Band, uh, for the Vocalion label. And Minnie um, had been recording since 1929 with people from that band. I be actually, I believe these sides were recorded in Mississippi, but Minnie was from Memphis. And um, the song you're going to hear is called field mouse stomp but it really is about mickey mouse and they couldn't really say that back even back then walt disney would not have liked a blues singer singing about his precious mouse so Minnie <laughs> uh, recorded this as field mouse stomp and uh the wonderful side with the memphis jug band guys uh on a vocalion label and i've said that already but you're gonna like the record here it is Minnie Wallace. Tain't no use of you dogging me around. You try to play every broad in town. No use to think that you are cute. You look like a monkey in a baseball suit. No use to think that you are right. Tain't a different broad is it night. Come and creep it just like I'm now. You got a face like me, good now. Tain't no 
Just like Mickey Mouse. Hey, for those of you who are just tuning in, this is Joe Laro, and you're listening to American Grooves Radio Hour here on WLIW-FM 88.3 on your radio dial. And uh, you can stream live at WLIW.org and other devices and apps that allow you to stream radio shows like this one. We're going to stay with the jug band mode. And we're going to listen to the Dixieland Jug Blowers, who were a jug band from St. Louis, Missouri, here on a tune that was covered in the early 60s by the Jim Queskin Jug Band. Maria Muldar sang this one. It's called the Garden of Joy Blues. And the original singer that you're going to hear now was Elizabeth Washington, here in 1926, Garden of Joy Blues. Oh, I feel like I'm so and free. Mm-hmm. 
1929, the Paul Whiteman Orchestra were in California filming a talkie musical, big deal. It was called The King of Jazz. It took them about a year to make it for all kinds of issues that they were having, technically, creatively. It was a mess. And by the time the film came out, the craze for talkie musicals was pretty much over. And Universal sold the farm making this film, created a huge issue for them. Whiteman did fine. His band was really, really popular. They went back to New York. But before that, they were stuck in California for a good six months. Uh, couldn't really work because they were filming almost every day and having all kinds of technical issues trying to make a Technicolor sound musical. While they were there, they had a young Bing Crosby in the lineup. And Bing was part of a vocal group called the Rhythm Boys. And Al Rinker who was Bing's partner uh, in the Rhythm Boys. They had moved from Spokane, Washington together, make their big hit uh, in show business. They hitchhiked to the West Coast, joined several bands before getting hooked up with Whiteman. But anyway, in 29, they're in L.A., and Al Rinker has a sister who is a wonderful singer and trying to get her career going. So... Rinker really wanted Paul Whiteman to hear her, but how do you do that? I mean, he was he was a huge a huge success, a huge star as a band leader, and everybody wanted them to hear their little sisters or their aunts that sang. So you know, it was hard to get to him. So Rinker came up with this idea where he'd have a dinner at his sister's house. Uh, Whiteman was a, a large man, loved to eat, and he said that his sister. Um, Mildred was a wonderful cook and convinced Whiteman and some of the guys from the band to go out to Mildred's house. And Mildred Bailey, who was Al Rinker's sister, cooked for Paul Whiteman. And then after the meal, a little bit of wine, they somehow got her to sing. Wasn't too hard to convince her, I'm sure. Whiteman was comfortable sitting in the chair and she sang and he immediately realized that this was a special singer and recorded her about a year later. Uh, Mildred Bailey went on to be one of the great jazz singers of the era into the 1940s and 50s. And here she is with the Teddy Wilson Band in 1935, Someday Sweetheart. You told me that you loved me true and I believed in you You broke your vow Now somehow It seems I'm always blue But there'll come a day When you're far away You sit alone and cry For me you sigh And the days that have gone by Someday, sweetheart be sorry for what you've done to my poor heart. You may regret the vows you've broken and the things you did. 
Bailey, 1935, with the Teddy Wilson Band. Same band that was playing with Billie Holiday that very year, Someday Sweetheart. Next up, we have one of my favorite obscure vocalists. Her name was Bessie Brown. And I learned that there were two Bessie Browns. There was one who was Bessie Brown, then another one who was also Bessie Brown. But what she used on her advertising was the original Bessie Brown. Thus, people would not be confused. Two different people, two of the, you know, two different people with the same name, both playing the TOBA black vaudeville circuit at the time. Anyway, this Bessie Brown, whether she was the original one or not, that I never figured out. She made some great records on Brunswick in the late 1920s. And this one is called The Song of the Cotton Field. Really a protest song. Tell me if you don't agree. It's unusual to have a song like this back then about the miseries and the sorrows that were felt by African-American people early on down south. Recorded here again with the great Fletcher Henderson band in the late 1920s, Bessie Brown. Don't set me free That's the song I'll sing Till it puts 
That's what I call a slamming band, Bessie Brown. I hope you folks are enjoying uh, the American Grooves Radio Hour. I'm Joe Lauro here on WLIW-FM, 88.3 on your radio dial. Ruth Edding was born in Nebraska in 1896, and she went to Chicago early on and met a fellow by the name of Mo Snyder, and Mo became her manager. And Mo was kind of a notorious... I'm not going to call him a gangster. He was certainly affiliated with some of the rough people in Chicago that were involved with nightclubs and bootlegging and all of that. In fact, it said that Mo had been Al Jolson's bodyguard. Wow. Anyway, he uh, he found the beautiful Ruth Edding singing in a nightclub and decided to marry her and manage her. Great combination. Sounds like a recipe for disaster, which it eventually was. But at this point, he got Ruth to New York, and she became one of the stars of the 1927 Ziegfeld Follies. Got a Columbia Records contract and made some very popular records for several years at Columbia. Cut to 1930, and there's a show, another Ziegfeld show, called Simple Simon that is starring... Miss Lee Morse. We heard Lee a little bit earlier in the show. Lee was not showing up for rehearsals. She was not showing up for performances. She had an alcohol problem. They fired her. They put Ruth Edding in this show. And this was the hit song, Ten Cents a Dance. It was written by Rogers and Hart. And it's about the world of taxi dancers. During the Great Depression, you could go to a dance hall. You'd buy some tickets for 10 cents. And you could pick the girl you'd like to dance with. So this song is from the point of view of the girl. Rogers and Hart wrote it. Ten cents a dance. I work at the palace ball. But she that palace is cheap. When I get back to my chilly hall room. I'm much too tired to sleep I'm one of those lady teachers A beautiful hostess, you know The kind the palace features At exactly a dime a throw Ten cents a dance That's what they pay me Gosh, how they weigh me down Ten cents a dance Fancies and rough guys Tough guys who tear my gown Seven to midnight I hear drums Loudly the saxophone blows Trumpets are breaking my eardrums Customers crush my toes Sometimes I think I found my hero But it's a queer romance All that you need is a ticket Come on, big boy, ten cents a dance Fighters and sailors and bow-legged tailors can pay for a ticket and rent me Butchers and barbers and rats from the harbors Our sweethearts my good luck has sent me Though I've a chorus of elderly bows Stockings are porous with holes in the toes I'm there to closing time Dance and be merry
1920s and early 1930s most popular singers was Annette Hanshaw. She uh, began recording in the mid-1920s as a 22-year-old recording with the original Memphis Five jazz band on the Perfect Label and then she moved over to Columbia which was a big step up. Columbia was truly one of the great record labels at the time. Columbia and Victor were really number one and two. And uh, Hanshaw became a very popular radio singer. And her early recording, she always signed off with, that's all. Unfortunately, I think I cut that out <laughs> at the end of this recording you're going to hear because I thought the record was over. But anyway, I'll, I'll get to one of those recordings with Annette and her sign-off and another show. But anyway, here she is in 1930, Nobody Cares If I'm Blue. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the American Grooves Radio Hour. I am Joe Lauro, and I will be back next week playing some more 78s from the archive. We'll hear you then. Okay, America! The American Grooves Radio Hour is brought to you weekly on WLIW-FM Southampton, 88.3 on your radio dial and at WLIW.org and all streaming formats.